You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Oh, I'm Jack Christides, and this is Billion Dollar Ballers, the show where we discuss the business of sports involving everything from the NCAA all the way up to the Major League. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning into our show today on America's Web Radio. As we have navigated our way through this COVID-19 crisis, sports have not been unaffected, but we're now coming to the end of the stoppage that has so many Americans upset, and pretty soon we'll once again have all of the live sports that we know and love. Uh, That is, of course, if you've been listening to the show, maybe not baseball, but uh, we'll get to that one a little bit later. Um, So again, if you're a frequent listener of the show, you know that I personally am a huge fan of the UFC. I think it's a growing sport, and uh, I think their ability to adapt has been something pretty admirable, especially as we've been going through the COVID issues lately. Um, To reiterate a little bit of what they've been doing, they've put on a number of cards now. The viewership numbers have continued to be at a record high, and that's even with no fans in the building. Um, So definitely a changed atmosphere there. Um, And they're continuing to adapt even further. Uh, Starting in July, they're going to host fights on Fight Island. Um, It's actually an island in Abu Dhabi. It's called Yaz Island. Um, So very excited for that. Starting up quickly, uh, starting up this upcoming weekend, actually, the UFC will be able to accommodate many of their international fights on the island. It is going to feature an octagon on the beach uh, surrounded by several miles of a quarantined area. And and that's going to include everything from hotels to dining establishments, training facilities, uh, it's it's an extremely interesting concept. It's a pretty bold venture. I was talking to a friend of mine, a friend who's worked at uh, uh, Endeavor, for those of you familiar, not familiar, that's one of the big sport and entertainment agencies out there. And um, all we were chatting about is we were just talking about kind of along the lines of sports needing to adapt and what we think possible trends could be. And uh, one of those big things is with the already decreasing attendance for a lot of these sports, um, the loss of revenue as, as it is from people not being able to attend from the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we could see shifts to more localized venues, kind of like this Fight Island, where um, you have a lot of teams coming together in one area. Uh, for example, even more similarly to the NBA, with what they're doing in Orlando, bringing all the players in to play the games there. You could see a scenario where you end up seeing teams no longer playing in their local venues, kind of playing at one localized venue, and then um, just reallocating funds towards the distribution and the media rights. Um, I'm not going to say for sure that's what's going to happen, but it's definitely a possibility, and it's kind of a trend that we saw coming even before all of this coronavirus pandemic hit. So uh, just a little food for thought, something interesting I thought I'd open the show up with today. Um, For this first segment, we are going to stick with the UFC. And uh, I mentioned it last week, and I I think I'm going to dig in in much more detail this week, um, is how the UFC has been able to operate with some of these roadblocks on the way. And one of those biggest roadblocks has been that a lot of their top fighters have been asking for pay raises. And actually, some of them have been threatening to leave the company and fight for different organizations if they don't get paid what they want. Uh, for example, John Jones and Jorge Masvidal 
both major champions, huge pay-per-view draws, some of the most popular fighters in the organization, they've been complaining, saying that if they don't get paid more, they're leaving the company. Um, and that got me to thinking, because I've seen a lot of people on social media lately up in arms saying, why are you not paying, why is the UFC not paying these fighters more? Uh, and it, and I'm just going to break down how this whole industry works and why you may not think they're getting paid a fair amount, um, but in reality, there's not much more money to go around for these fighters. Um, so the biggest comparison you often see between the UFC is boxing. And, of course, we've seen boxers make crazy amounts of money. We had uh, Floyd Mayweather in his last fight made over $300 million for one fight, which is a crazy, ridiculous number. Um, however, boxing simply operates in a much different way than the UFC does. So just to give you a little idea of the money that the UFC is working with here. Uh, so last year, the UFC gave roughly $300 million, um, which is the lion's share of their total $350 million cash reserve that they had for the year. They gave all that money to one-time dividend, a one-time dividend payment to the company's star-studded list of investors. That list includes actor and producer Mark Wahlberg, actress Charlize Theron, model Giselle Bündchen. I mean, we're talking about heavy-hitting investors here. And you may be saying, why are they giving that amount to their investors and, uh, and not to all their fighters? Well, they need to keep giving that to their investors so they keep getting more investment. And the more investment they get, the more they can grow. And maybe if they do grow and they get more appeal and they get larger TV contracts, um, which they are on the way to doing, they have a huge media deal with ESPN right now, then they can generate more cash reserves and then they have more money to give to their fighters. Um, but as it stands now, they don't have a giant cash reserve to be giving to all their fighters. So they can't go out and pay somebody $300 million for a fight. Um, similarly, uh, everybody in the UFC is an independent contractor. Um, so it's not like the NFL where the NFL can say, all right, here's the schedule. Uh, the team will be showing up to practice these days. We'll be showing up to play the game these days. Uh, nobody in the, that is represented or is in the UFC, none of those fighters are required to fight. Um, yes, they do have a contract, but if they don't want to fight, they can just not fight. UFC can't force them to show up. Uh, on the flip side, if, if they don't do that, the UFC is not required to pay them. So that's why you're seeing these issues. It's one, a lack of money to go around right now in the UFC, and two, it's just the fact that they're independent contractors. Couple that with the fact that the UFC does pay its fighters more than any other MMA promoter. Um, a company spokesperson has said in the past that, quote, they are very proud of the company they've built and are confident in their legal position. Um, it. And it really has turned into somewhat of a legal battle. Fighters have been complaining that the UFC restricts their ability to make money in other ways, um, and that includes keeping the lion's share of the pay-per-view revenues. So again, this is one of the other reasons that the fighters aren't making a lot of money. Um, it, it is different than boxing. Um, so in boxing, the fighters often promised a, a vast majority of the pay-per-view revenues uh, or to their purse uh, that is their prize money. 
Um, the UFC operates differently, and this is all written out in their contracts. A lot of the times, the, the UFC keeps a vast majority of the pay-per-view revenues. They'll give a small cut to the fighters, um, and then they'll let them take a certain amount of the, the gate, the amount of fans that are there. They'll give them a flat rate for fighting, and then another flat rate uh, for winning, and then they'll give them bonuses based on their performance. Um, for example, um, one of the most popular fights recently was Conor McGregor versus Cowboy Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Um, so the flat rate for that fight was $200,000 for Donald Cerrone. Um, McGregor came out and said he was making uh, $3 million for that fight. A lot of people said that that was unfair. Um, but if you think about it this way, they're both getting a small percentage of that pay-per-view, which is undisclosed, so we don't actually know the specific amount that they're making. Uh, Conor McGregor's probably a larger draw, so it makes sense that his flat rate is higher. On top of that, he won the fight, so he gets his fight bonus. And it was the fight of the night, so he got another bonus for that as well. So it's just a totally different structure than boxing. It's really hard to compare the two. Um, I mean, I'm... I'm always a proponent of people in sport making more money, but it just it just doesn't fundamentally make sense for a UFC fighter to make the same amount as a boxer at this point. Um, so uh, I hope that on some level I've been able to explain a little bit why that is impossible. Moving forward, if uh, if the UFC is able to continue to grow at the rate they have, I'm sure that they'll be able to come somewhat closer to what the boxers are making. Um, the UFC did just cut a six-year sponsorship deal. Uh, actually, that began in 2015, so they're coming up on their next one with Reebok, uh, which was a $70 million deal. Now, obviously, uh, the UFC has grown substantially since 2015, so I'd be estimating that their new sponsorship deal, which um, for a myriad of reasons most likely won't be with Reebok. I'm not going to get into that right now, but I'd expect that to be significantly larger and a larger sponsorship deal is going to mean a larger cut from the sponsor to the fighters, so they're going to get get a pay increase there. Uh, again, they're on ESPN now, so more visibility, probably more money coming in. So in my opinion, I really do believe that a lot of these fighters complaining about not making enough money, um, they just have to look at the situation and realize their worth. Um, that, that's really all I have to say on the matter. So... Um, with that, we are going to have a very interesting show today. Uh, it's not all going to be about UFC, so we're going to talk about the potential and increasingly likely return of most of our favorite sports leagues. Um, and we're also going to get back into the NCAA. So I know it's been a couple weeks now since I've discussed the NCAA. It's been one of the slower-moving topics as, uh, as a lot of the other sports leagues have been dominating the landscape with their early returns. I was back at the University of Michigan this last week, and um, I, I walked into a bar as the bars had opened up, and I looked around, and I saw the bar was full of football players, um, which was an interesting sight to see. I wasn't, wasn't even completely sure how many were back on campus, but uh, if that says anything, if they're out going to the bars, I can promise you that they're out at, uh, at their colleges lately. Um, we do know that the NCAA has a lot of plans for the returns. They've got a a lot of things set up to protect against the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and they also have had recently a lot of positive momentum um, with the player likeness changes that we had talked about a little bit previously in the show. 
So um, we're going to talk about that. Really interesting topic. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, we're also going to break down the format of the PLL, that Premier Lacrosse League we've talked a little bit about. Um, I realized that I was probably talking about something that not a lot of you are familiar with. Um, understandably, brand new, emerging sport, changing trends. So I thought it'd be interesting to explain how the league expects to take a unique path to success, because it really is different than any other league setup that I've seen. Um, I can't speak to the potential success of it, but I'll use what I've experienced with other leagues and seen in similar situations to try to kind of forecast our timeline here and what we can expect as far as them making money or potentially going the route of the XFL and flaming out. Because um, as we know, sports is an uncertain landscape. Lastly, um, and perhaps most confusingly, even to me, um, is the upcoming MLB season, or potential upcoming MLB season, I should say, and the progress, if we can call it progress, that they've been making towards a potential deal being made um, with the Players' Union and the executives of the league. As we've talked about in past weeks, for the past two weeks now, it's not going great. Um, the MLB commissioner, executives, and the players, they're really struggling to come to an agreement uh, it's not a good look for the league. We've already seen the NBA planning on returning. Uh, there have been a few NBA players saying they don't want to come back, but, I mean, that one's pretty cut and dry, set to go. The M- NBA is coming back. The NFL is coming back, and, in fact, the NFL wants to come back with full stadiums, so they're clearly gung-ho to get back on track. Got most NCAA sports, although they've had their financial troubles set to come back as well, uh, overseas soccer has already started this past week. We've got leagues in Germany, England coming back. China, even with a reemergence of the virus there, is up and ready to go. Uh, I, I saw that some professional tennis is coming back. The lacrosse league's coming back. So, I mean, that's just a massive list of sports coming back. It's not a good look for the MLB that they don't have a deal to come back yet. Uh, and we're going to break down why they don't have that deal. Uh, So before we get into our next segment, I think it's time for a short break. We'll be back right after this. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, the host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Generally speaking, I don't do many uh, live commercials, but uh, and this is only sort of a commercial because we do a show called The Doctor's Lounge, and it's uh, sponsored by Doctors for the, the number four patient care. And uh, I was in a situation uh, not that long ago, less than a month ago, that um, I realized how important 
the doctor's lounge and docs for patient care really is. Uh, we have a situation in our hospitals now where hospitalists are taking over. Managers of hospitals aren't even doctors, but yet they prescribe what's going to happen in that hospital, and uh, it isn't in the patient's favor at all. And please, if you have to go or you have a loved one that has to be hospitalized, stay with them, be with them, and keep asking, who's in charge? Who's in charge? These hospitalists that hospitals are hiring, you don't know which doctor is going to see you next. And that's bad. That is really bad. And if we go into single-payer situation, it will get worse. So mark my words. Go to America's Web Radio and look up on Thursday mornings, 8 o'clock, is the Doctor's Lounge. And they talk about what I'm talking about right now. So go to it, listen to some of the shows, and find out what you can do. With that being said, we're going to do one quick thing and then be back with Jack right after this. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio and welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers. Uh, Extremely excited for this segment right now. In this segment, we're going to be talking about NCAA updates regarding the response to COVID-19 and changes that are getting made to the NIL, uh, which is that student-athlete compensation proposal that we saw lately. So I do want to start with uh, the coronavirus issue. And uh, the NCAA did recently make an announcement. Um, They had a COVID-19 statement, they called it. And I'm just going to read it for you, and then I'll explain a little bit um, in relation to what it means, how I think it's going to affect... Uh, these athletic departments and uh, whether or not they'll be able to function. Um, so the, the statement goes as follows, that the NCAA continues to assess the impact of COVID-19 in consultation with public health officials and our COVID-19 advisory panel. Based on their advice and discussions with the Board of Governors, the NCAA has made the decision to conduct the upcoming championship events, including the Division I men's and women's basketball tournaments, with only essential staff and limited family attendance. Uh, while the NCAA understands how disappointing this is for all fans of the sport, uh, the decision is based on the current understanding of how COVID-19 is progressing. Uh, it is in the best interest of public health, including that of coaches, administrators, fans, and most importantly, student-athletes, that the NCAA recognizes the opportunity to compete in a national championship as an experience of a lifetime for the students and their families in a safe manner. Um, So that's the end of the statement. Pretty straightforward statement. But um, it it does give us a little look into the struggles that the NCAA is having right now. So uh, as we know, um, the NCAA has been attempting to get back to normal life, like I spoke about earlier in the show. Uh, We've got football players on campuses now. Um, so there's definitely some progress being made, but it does seem as if the fan aspect is going to be that um, of no fans in the stadiums, which is really sad to hear, especially when you consider that the NFL plans on having full stadiums. Um, so we can really see with sports here how the individual entities are going to get to decide what happens. I will say 
um, revenue from actual ticket sales in the uh, in the NCAA is probably not probably is significantly less than it is with a lot of the pro teams. So they're not taking as big of a hit. Um, most colleges don't have alcohol sales in the stadium, which again are a big driver of revenue. So it's going to be uh, not as big of a hit for these colleges to not have fans, but definitely a hit to the atmosphere, definitely not something that the fans wanted to see. Um, and while they may not be losing as much money from this lack of fans, they are going to lose a significant portion, and certain schools have been extremely affected. We've talked about in the past how certain schools and athletic departments won't be able to function um, without all the revenue from their sports. So... Um, Without getting into every single school we've talked in, about in the past, I do want to say that five Division II schools have shut down their athletic programs completely since March 1st. Uh, that's according to Associated Press Research. So that's a pretty significant number. Um, we, and that's entire athletic departments that are, the, these schools are going to no longer have sports, which is pretty crazy. Um, and it's all as a result of this coronavirus pandemic. So most of these sports, they, they simply can't afford to pay for, uh, for these athletic departments without a, a football season with fans. So if, you, uh, if we break down how college sports make money and why the Division II schools are so especially hurt, um, it's because uh, the Division II programs, the Division II programs that have football, um, they rely on uh, close to 75% of revenue from institutional support. Um, and without, without being able to get the institutional support for football because of a loss of revenue, it, it tanks their whole athletic department, and there's really no way that they can function. So the only response that they can have is to cut the athletic department. Uh, moving on to Division One schools, even they are being really affected. Um, there have been a lot of individual teams eliminated in cuts by Division One schools. Um, perhaps one of the most notable ones is Cincinnati. University of Cincinnati actually cut their soccer team, which is pretty crazy. We've seen some baseball teams getting cut, tennis programs getting cut. Um, it's pretty wild. And uh, I'd just like to give a quick example of the hurdles that teams may face in trying to get these teams back. Um, so uh, this is just a quick example from St. Edwards. If you're not familiar with St. Edwards, it's a small private school, but it does have a significant Division I uh, sports athletic department. Um, and after a series of meetings, uh, administrators from St. Edwards offered a pretty daunting long-shot chance of bringing back uh, some of their programs. They said that each cut program would have to raise enough money by the end of May, or uh, pardon me, the end of July, to cover five years of operational costs. That's $2.3 million for golf teams, $2.2 million for men's soccer, $2 million for tennis teams, and $800,000 for cheer. They would then have to raise another $50 million or so over the next five years to fully endow the team. Keep in mind that school's current overall endowment is only about $110 million. So that is a pretty crazy, it's a pretty unattainable number. Um, and none of that would even fund any of the scholarships for athletes on those teams. 
Um, most of the more than 300 athletes at the school receive some form of athletic, academic, or need-based aid. Uh, and the total cost of attendance at St. Andrews for the 2020-2021 school year for a student is going to be about $66,000. So we're talking about a large amount of money here that these schools need to raise at a time when they, they really don't have the ability to raise it as well as they have in the past. So it, it's, it's kind of a pipe dream to think that these teams are going to be able to raise that amount of money to get their programs back. We've seen things such as GoFundMes, a lot of individual fundraising, um, and attempts to bring the programs back. And it's definitely really sad, and I, I really do hope that teams are able to bring them all back. But this is something that I said would most likely happen, something that a lot of people um, have, have seen coming, a lot, with, a lot of people with the inside knowledge of the business of college sports. Um, so it's not necessarily something to be surprised at, but it is, uh, it is definitely a sad day for the NCAA. Um, one last quick note about St. Edwards. Um, their administrators did decline to comment. Um, they issued a statement that said they will, quote, not compromise the student-athletes by running programs that are not properly funded. Um, so, again, I mean, it, it makes sense. You're not going to spend money you don't have, and you're not going to be able to run a program with the money that you do have. So that's, that's where a lot of their issues are coming now. But moving on to a more positive aspect of college sports right now, uh, in the past, we've talked about how, uh, how things have been moving forward with these new proposals nationally for players to be able to be compensated for their likeness, um, something that was a huge point of contention in the past, um, with players routinely getting in trouble with, uh, from the NCAA for violations such as simply signing an autograph um, or accepting money in return for that autograph or any number of benefits that would seem very simple and, in many cases, very deserved. Well, um, things have been changing very quickly. So in terms of student-athlete compensation legislation, we now see that there have been bills introduced in 32 different states um, which would allow compensation for these athletes based on their likeness uh, to be legal, which uh, is a huge, drastic change. Um, there have only been three states where these bills have been passed. That's California, Colorado, and the newest to join the list, Florida. Uh, that's right. Senator Mark Rubio introduced a bill Thursday that would require the NCAA to change its rules regarding athletes' ability to profit off their name, image, and likeness uh, by the end of June 2021. Um, it also protects the NCAA from legal challenges to these new regulations. Um, so while all of this isn't getting done immediately, it's not all in effect immediately, it is a change that's coming really quickly. And this has been an issue um, uh, really across all aspects of the sport industry for a long time. Nobody has been happy um, with the fact that these college players can't make money off their likeness. Some of the biggest proponents of uh, allowing these players to profit off their likeness are uh, people such as LeBron James, Tom Brady, um, the big, some of the biggest athletes in the world today. Even Drew Rosenhaus. Um, Drew Rosenhaus is known as one of the uh, best and biggest agents in all of sports. He owns his own sports representation agency. 
and he says that it's one of the most disappointing things that he's observed in the 32 years that he's been in the business. Um, the fact that college players don't get paid for their likeness, they can't share in marketing deals, and they bring in so much revenue to their colleges without being able to cash in on that. And as we know, uh, an athlete's career is very finite. There's only a certain amount of time that they can actually profit. Um, and it's why you see a lot of young players opting, as we've talked about before on the show, to skip college basketball, to go right to the G League, to, uh, to play overseas. Unfortunately, in football right now, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty stuck in the current format of having to go to college for several years before they go pro. But, um, I mean, even soccer players, you see them going pro at 16 years old. Tennis players going pro early. There's all these young kids who are trying to go pro early. And that, that is really detrimental. Um, uh, it's great that they're going so they can make money. But in a lot of the cases, they're simply not ready. Um, but when you need the financial compensation, especially if you, you grew up in an area or in a situation where uh, maybe you didn't have the ability to make money. Maybe your family was struggling. Um, and then a college doesn't allow you to make money while you're there. It makes so much more sense to go pro. And then you end up in a situation where we're getting uneducated athletes. Uh, we're getting athletes not realizing their full potential because they don't have time to develop in that college environment. And it just causes all sorts of problems that could be easily avoided um, with all these NIL and uh, profiting off of your name, image, and likeness. Um, so a great trend that we're seeing now. Uh, props to Senator Mark Rubio for putting that bill, and congratulations to all 32 states for that legislation being introduced. Um, definitely excited, and it seems trending uh, towards a national proposal um, allowing these college athletes to get compensation on some level and, and that's going to bring a lot of great things so definitely looking forward to that um our next segment we're going to focus on the premier lacrosse league uh, i'll explain that to you a little bit what it's about how they're making money what their future may look like but before we get there we're going to do one more quick break want to give your family our loved one the perfect gift then go online and check out the tornadobodydryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual, family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. I might add that funny little noise in there is a Comcast. They seem to be having audio problems all over the country. So uh, thanks, Comcast. We'll be back with more of Jack right after this. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 
And America's Web Radio is expanding continually. We have a new show. We have a couple of new shows starting, as a matter of fact. One is that we've discussed over and over again public education and public education letting our kids down from the first grade through high school regarding history. So we're starting a new program. We haven't even named it yet, but uh, we've got a professor of history that's going to teach you things that you didn't even know happened in history. And that'll be starting very shortly. And then we've also got another show that's going to be starting this coming Wednesday called A Veteran's Story. And if you're a veteran, um, you know what I'm talking about. And I always ask uh, our great uh, guests that we've had on uh Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame show, I always ask him one question. Have you ever met a veteran with just one story? It ain't going to happen. They got more stories than Carter has little liver pills back in the day of Carter liver pills. But anyway, uh, we've got some exciting things coming up. A veteran's story. And you're going to hear some great, great stories I've already heard some of them and uh, know some of the veterans that are going to be on. So tune in for that. It's uh, starting this Wednesday at 9 a.m. And let's uh, do one little quick thing, and then we'll be back to Jack. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Okay, Jack, you ready? Broadcast Network. Thank you for listening. One, and it's yours. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, and welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers. As we talked about previously, this segment will focus on the Premier Lacrosse League, the PLL as it's commonly known, and examine their unique approach to being a brand new sports league, assessing whether or not they're set up for success. Um, So, a little bit quickly about the sport. 20 years ago, uh, the lacrosse world, it it was a mere shell of what it looks like now. Um, either Princeton, Syracuse, or Virginia, they won every men's national championship at the NCAA level from 1992 all the way through 2004. Um, so clearly the power rested in a small group of teams. Uh, there was no professional league. Um, and the women's game was not very developed either. The women's game has taken tremendous strides. Uh, they've changed their sport. They've added the eyewear for the players, uh, a lot of necessary steps and rules in advancing the women's sport as well, although mostly we'll be focusing on the men's today. Um, Since, new powerhouse programs have blossomed uh, both in the men's and the women's game. Um, There are many contenders. The talent pool has grown as the youth leagues continue to grow. Um, And the game itself is now actually on the doorstep of Olympic inclusion for the 2028 Olympics. And in large part, that's, uh, that's thanks to growth in more regions. Uh, the lacrosse started in the northeast region for the most part, um, but it's now extremely popular in places such as California and Texas. So uh, it's definitely spreading across the country quickly. Um, and you can also credit the growing use of social media um, for athletes to brand themselves and, and for visibility. Uh, for those of you not familiar with lacrosse, it really is a fun game to watch. It's a bunch of padded up, uh, football football players, essentially, they look like football players, just big guys running around with shoulder pads. And, and uh, not only are they allowed to hit each other full force, they're allowed to hit each other really hard with a long metal pole. 
Uh, so for those of you into some violent sports, I, I'd suggest you give lacrosse a try. Now, an interesting question is, in another 20 years, um, are we going to be looking back and saying that the 2000 and 2010 laid the foundation uh, for now one of the most popular states in the United States? Uh, sports in the United States, pardon me. So it'll be interesting to see, but this Premier Lacrosse League is most definitely the launching point for all of that to happen. Um, so a little bit about the PLL. The PLL is sponsored by Ticketmaster. Um, it's an American field lacrosse league, so they play on a football field. The inaugural season debuted on June 1st, 2019, so again, very new. That season included a 14-week tour-based schedule taking place in 12 major city markets. Um, so, the uh, in 2018, Bloomberg reported that Paul Rabel, uh, he's the one who launched the league, uh, one of the most popular players in the league, um, they reported he'd be launching the league. It would be a direct competitor to the more established Major League Lacrosse, um, another professional lacrosse league that's out there right now. Um, and the league does provide players with salaries, health care, and league equity, which is extremely interesting. So... Every player in the league actually owns a percentage of the league, which is a great incentive for all these people in the, in the uh, Premier Lacrosse League. Now, their model does radically differ from that of most North American professional sports leagues. Uh, the PLL would be a huge story as it went on in 2019 Sports Illustrated. Um, it actually was pointed out to me recently, which I thought was pretty interesting, that LeBron James' Instagram account um, features virtually no clips of him playing basketball. Um, that's because those clips are the property of NBA, meaning the owners of the NBA, and uh, it would be necessary for him to, to get approval to actually post those highlights, which is really kind of crazy to me. By contrast, the PLL open sources its highlights, and all the players have equity in the league. They actually own a part of the league. So that allows the players to freely use these highlights to build their own personal brand. Uh, that, that's, uh, it may seem like a small difference, but it's really a tremendous difference. Um, in, in the age of social media that we live in, content is key. And all these players now have the content to build a personal brand. So I think that these players are going to start making a lot of money from things other than just their league, from external sources as well. So that's something that's extremely great for all the players, and it should inspire younger players to realize, hey, I can really make money playing this sport. And I think you're going to see a growth of the sport at all levels, at the youth level, up through college, and then into the professional league. I think that'll be really tremendous uh, for the league as a whole. The league does feature seven teams, each with a 26-player roster. Um, however, the teams are not tied to a specific market. Um, so they tour 12 different cities, and again, we've talked about this year with COVID, they're doing a tournament style in Utah instead, which is definitely different. Um, but traditionally, they tour 12 different major market cities. Um, so the teams aren't actually tied to a specific city, which is, in my opinion, something that could hold the league back. It's definitely interesting. It's definitely different. Um, but for those familiar uh, with the business of sports, you'll know that it's one of the things that makes sports really unique is consumers have a reason, an underlying reason, even if they're not a fan of the product, to support a team. Um, for example, if you're from Chicago, 
you're most likely going to support the Bears. If the Bears are in the Super Bowl, you're going to watch the Super Bowl simply because they're your t- city's team. Um, you get a, a degree of loyalty that exists off the bat without having to work for it whatsoever. Um, the PLL doesn't really have that. You, you have to pick a team to support, and it's kind of an arbitrary decision. Who has the players that you like? Who has the, uh, the uniforms? Any number of factors could go into that. But they don't have, they don't have a way to tie you to a team seamlessly. Um, which I think could could be a problem for the league. I'm sure maybe down the line they plan on changing that. Um, but if I was the PLL, I, I would have looked to the model that the MLS the MLS used. So the MLS started off playing on high school fields. They did not have their own stadiums. They actually had a really small fan base, and the talent pool was pretty small, very similar to the PLL. But what the MLS did is they became entrenched in their cities. They got established. They got larger fan bases purely because they were tied to those cities. And then they grew over time and ended up being a very successful um, league now. MLS is becoming quickly one of the most popular leagues in the U.S. So I would just say to the PLL, it's definitely a unique concept, but I do find some flaw in the fact that they don't have ties to cities. What is a very positive aspect about the league, um, for sure, is that they do have an exclusive media rights agreement with NBC Sports. Um, That's a great first step. Uh, The larger the media rights get, the larger the league gets. Uh, We talked about it ad nauseum on this show. More money is going to be available for not only the players, but the league as a whole, and it's going to allow for expansion. That's great. Uh, They also have some really, really, really cool sponsors. Um, they have the IMG Academy as the official preseason training facility. Adidas is the exclusive footwear and apparel brand. Capital One Bank is the official bank sponsor of the whole league. And Ticketmaster signed a deal in February of this year to become the official ticket sales company of the league, as well as having their name added to the league's name, now making it the premier lacrosse league powered by Ticketmaster. Um, again, this is another example of the league's ability to quickly adapt. I mean, they're they're pretty on top of things. Those are some high-quality sponsors there. And if you have companies like that showing an interest in and believing in the league, then you most likely uh, are going to see success. Um, so uh, a little bit of a mixed bag, in my opinion, for the PLL, but what can you expect from a brand-new league? Um, they're coming out with some interesting concepts, some better than others. Um, but really, the next step in my mind, as, as I talked about a little bit earlier, um, is for the PLL to do what they can do to help with the Olympic movement, um, whether that's putting together international friendlies, trying to develop an international product that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, accepts. That's the, the big hurdle, because if you can get lacrosse into the Olympics, you start to really grow the public appeal, the international appeal, and then over time, you start to see things like a lacrosse video game. You start to see things like uh, lacrosse players becoming household names. Really just the visibility of the league going to the point that, uh, that it becomes exponential. And next thing you know, uh, it's passing some of these, these eSports, these MLS, the lower tier of sports, and uh, maybe getting up towards the, uh, the big three of the MLB, NBA, and NFL. Um, the possibilities, again, are 
really limitless. Um, it's just all going to depend how they do it. So looking forward to great things to come with the PLL and hopefully over time some, uh, some growth of the general sport of lacrosse in America as we know it. Um, so with that, our final segment is going to be about the upcoming MLB season. Again, lots of turmoil going on in those negotiations. We'll break it down for you here uh, right after this short break. And here's a sound you won't be hearing a lot of. But we wanted to thank Jack for doing such a great show. And we'll be back with Jack right after a couple of words from our sponsors. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers. And welcome back to our last segment of the day. And uh, it's a pretty interesting one. It's a pretty convoluted one. It can be upsetting at times. Um, but it, it does involve one of our major sports leagues, and that is the MLB. Again, uh, the last league, really, the last major league, to struggle to come to a deal with their players to bring back the sport of baseball. Um, so a lot to unpack here, but we're still currently uncertain of when exactly the MLB season will come back, if it will come back, what it will look like. And uh, we do know some of the precautions that will be taken for the coronavirus, of course, um, there was an initial 80-page proposal some months ago now, um, which was shot down by the players. Um, that, that was the scheduling, the payment was shot down. A lot of the safety procedures were put into place. Um, but one thing that was a major sticking point still is um, and has caused uh, the negotiations to slow in regards to the return of the league is the, uh, the player compensation. Um, so one initial proposal was a 50-50 revenue split, shot down immediately for reasons we've talked about previously on the show that we don't have time to go into detail um, right now. If you are interested in learning um, in depth what initially happened with this situation, you can go back and find it on some of our previous shows. Um, it, it really, I mean, I could do a whole show on the, the turmoil in the MLB right now. But we'll try to condense it into one segment here. So 
without the stadium revenue, the in-stadium revenue, it is unlikely um, that they will make enough money to pay the players the full amount, and, and that's really why they've had this kind of argument. Uh, on March 6th, they, 26th, they did agree to a prorated season. Um, unfortunately, that all kind of fell through. Um, so now we have a situation where the owners could uh, potentially say that they don't want to reopen. Um, and the longer that these teams have been negotiating, the more we've been seeing that the season length has to come shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, so following that uh, falling through of the March 26th prorated season, Newer updates had the owners proposing a new pay structure, um, which would have a marginal salary structure in which the lowest paid players would receive close to a full share of their prorated salary. And the game stars would receive far less than expected. Um, so the proposal included bonuses if the postseason games are played, offered lower salaried players a high percentage, um, and the formula the league offered, for example, would take a player scheduled to make the league minimum, which is around $560,000, give him a prorated number based on an 82-game season of $285,000, um, and take a 10% cut from that figure, leaving him with a $256,000 salary. Um, again, it goes down as salaries go up. So if you had a player making $20 million, They'd only be making 20% their prorated, which uh, certainly didn't sit well with the players. Um, and after that, the players, the players did turn that proposal down, and they came back and countered with a different offer. Um, as they were adamant they received full prorated salaries and wanted to cut the regular season games to 89 games. Um, it was given to Major League Baseball some weeks ago now, um, and that was even without a negotiating session. It was detailed to the Associated Press by a pair of people familiar with the negotiation. Um, and, and it was really, it really caught the league off guard because, again, there was no negotiation here. The players just, the union came together and just gave them a proposal. Um, however, the MLB didn't appear to view it as productive. They made no comment. Um, and apparently one owner, um, according to an inside source, reacted and said, quote, were nowhere. So uh, so that proposal didn't do anything. Um, the players did make that move one day after management cut their proposed schedule even further from 82 to 76. So you could again see how these people are not on the same page. The players wanted to go up to 89, and and the, uh, the league was saying that they, they can't even do more than 76. There was small progress made there, however, uh, the union accepted MLB's plan to expand the postseason from 10 teams to as many as 16. Um, and uh, th that's, I guess, good, but there's still really no end in sight. Um, so after the MLB turned that proposal down, um, they came out with a statement saying that the season would likely be played in empty ballparks without fans, relating to a loss of $640,000 for each game played. Um, which is why they said that they needed to make these cuts. Um, so they came back, and, and it resulted in another counteroffer by the MLB. So the MLB came back with their next counteroffer. I know it's a lot of offers and counteroffers, but I'm trying to paint the whole picture here for you. Um, but the MLB came back, um, and what they came back with was a 60-game season at full prorated pay. So uh, cutting the season all the way to 60 games, 
but allowing the players to get that full prorated amount that they want. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, the players again counteroffered that. They didn't even accept that one. Um, they came back and they counterproposed yesterday, actually. So this is a pretty breaking story. Um, their proposal was an increase to 70 games and additional financial benefits. Um, which, according to the owners, is asking too much. The owners say that barring an agreement in the compromise zone of 64 to 66 games, the uh, the outcome may be less of 50-something game schedule. So again, the longer we have to wait for an agreement between these two parties, the shorter the season is getting. And it's just a, as the players keep negotiating for more and more games, they're hurting themselves by not coming to the table with a deal that's reasonable. Um, because the season's only getting shorter. Uh, After a face-to-face meeting on Tuesday in Arizona, um, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of the league, said that he and the union chief came up with a, quote, jointly developed framework that that they agreed could form the basis of an agreement. Um, In their offer Thursday, the players made clear their view of the framework was very different running the additional games, a larger bonus pool, and a share of additional TV money. Um, So, as you can see, they're really not even on close to the same page. Um, The owners and the league commissioner have come out saying they were not happy to be asked for more games and concessions. Um, In fact, the commissioner, in a somewhat aggressive stance, came out with a quote saying, Quote, I don't know what Tony and I were doing there for several hours going back and forth and making trades if we were not reaching an agreement. So again, it's just a lot of animosity here between the players, the commissioner, and uh, and really all the executives. Um, since the pro-rated agreement does pay the players based on how many games are scheduled, the new proposal would cost the owners an estimated 250 to $300 million more. Um, they, the players also wanted an increase from $25 million to $50 million in postseason bonus money and forgiveness from the salary advance money paid to the players. Uh, so the owners are going to lose. They're losing more and more money, and the players are losing more and more money. It's not good for anybody. Um, and at this point, I'm becoming increasingly doubtful that there will be a season. I'm usually an optimistic person. I have said in the past I'm optimistic it could get done, but this is the one league where – it's not a done deal. I mean, this thing could fall through entirely. Uh, it could be horrible for for the game of baseball. <laughs> now, one uh, one last important note about the MLB and everything that's going on is, even after the fact, uh, if there is a shortened schedule, if they don't do, if they do the expanded playoffs, and all this happens, both sides still have the potential to file after-the-fact grievances that could hang over the sport for years. So we're talking a a billion dollars in sought-after damages as a result of these negotiations, which both sides have claimed have been um, under false pretenses and ill will. So it's not a short-term problem that they're facing, and uh, it's billion dollars, billions of dollars of fallout as a result of these poor negotiations. Um, so that's everything going on with the MLB. I know it can be somewhat confusing, but hopefully... Uh, you no, know, I, I think that was the point of the segment, really to uh, to 
tell everybody and show everybody just how confusing of a situation this is, even for even for the people involved. Even the players and the commissioner have no idea what's going on. It's a dumpster fire. It, it's problematic, and uh, we'll continue to cover it um, until they come to or don't come to an agreement. Um, so that that brings us to the end of our show. We'll have another great show next week, continuing to talk about a lot of the same topics we had, hopefully addressing some of these NBA changes as they come into the training center in Orlando, talking about UFC, Fight Island, what's going on there. Um, Probably not going to discuss the PLL next week. I think it's time to come back and discuss a little bit more about NASCAR and some of the social issues in NASCAR, baseball, NFL, and how all these social issues that are coming to the forefront of culture right now, how they're affecting the bottom line of these sports leagues, because it really is all tied together, and uh, everything has a financial impact, especially when it comes to sports. Uh, With that, I'm Jack Christides. This has been Billion Dollar Ballers on America's Web Radio. Thanks for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.